it's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. Fox News Radio Studios in New York City. Fresh off the set of Fox and Friends. It's America's receptive voice. Brian Kilmeade. Thanks so much for being here, everybody. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show. We're watching Eric Adams get interviewed on Fox News. We'll bring you back to that. It's his first Fox News interview. The mayor of New York, which is in New York again in the eye of the storm after that subway attack. And the, uh, and the assailant, the suspect, is still at large. Uh, Stephen Hadley standing by. Gerard Baker will be with us, too. Really a brilliant economic mind. He's editor of at-large of the Wall Street Journal. He's going to try to put in perspective uh, why the economy is, um, is, has, is experiencing inflation like we haven't done since Ronald Reagan was president. We're talking about the 1980s. So let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. The family budget, your ability to fill up your tank, none of it should hinge on whether a dictator declares war and commits genocide and half the world away. Finally, President Biden calls Russian barbarity and depravity genocide. And more importantly, the Washington Post reports the U.S. is prepared to send better and more lethal weapons. Say it with me. Ukraine can and must win. Number two. What's happened here is that even though wages are now going up at about 6%, which is the highest they've gone up in decades, the 8.5% obviously is more than that. And so you have consumers losing ground on their purchasing power. Steve Ratner of Democrat weighing in. Inflation is the number one economic story in the nation. And the scary thing to me is the administration trying to blame everyone but themselves. From Putin to supply chain, polls show you're not, ho- uh, you're not buying it either as the cost of everyday goods gets pricier and pricier. Number one. I bought a Manhattan-bound N-train. Ten people were shot. Seven males, three females, and they were remo- removed to area hospitals. An additional 13 people suffered injuries. Uh, that is uh, some of the chaos that happened almost 24 hours from now. Uh, yesterday, a deranged shooter at large after yesterday morning subway attack. I hope to say that he's captured soon. We know who he is. We know who we're going for. Uh, the subway cameras didn't work. Cops on train were not on the train. New York City's quarantine mayor blames the gun. We'll have the latest on the manhunt. Let's bring in Steve Hadley. Steve, a, a terror attack in New York. That's how you that when last time you had the job, that was the story, right? That's exactly right. Nine uh, eleven and all the uh, all the fallout from it. People have forgotten all the how frequency of the terrorist attacks that followed nine eleven. This is a terrible echo of our past. It is, and uh, let's see how they answer the, the the thing that you had that we don't have. You had an elite anti-terror unit in New York City. You had an NYPD functioning at the top of its game. You had a uh, you had a support of law enforcement across this country. From your estimation, as a citizen in America now, what's changed? Well, remember, those things didn't just come magically into being. There was a, The country pulled together after 9-11, and we built the kind of infrastructure we needed to deal with the terrorism threat. And we did. And the country, uh, at, you know, after 9-11, as you remember, there were predictions that this would be just the first of a series of mass casualty attacks in the United States. And that didn't happen. So it was a great success story. 
you worry a little bit about whether we've relaxed a little bit in terms of uh, dealing with the terrorist problem, but also the terrorist problem is now increasingly an internal problem rather than terrorists coming at us from abroad. So yeah. the, the context is, is, is changed. See, there are certain things that happen when you're when you're in office. Like, for example, when you were a national security advisor for four years for President Bush, you don't have any control of. There's other times your policies bring you great success and great failure. Here's Joe Biden looking at inflation that was at two percent and is now at eight point five percent. Listen to what who what he how he plans on communicating what the problem is. Cut fourteen. Putin's invasion of Ukraine has driven up gas prices and food prices all over the world. We saw today's inflation data. Seventy percent of the increase in prices in March came from Putin's price hike in gasoline. I'm doing everything within my power by executive orders to bring down the price and address the Putin price hike. Your family budget, your ability to fill up your tank, none of it should hinge on whether a dictator Okay, I I can't even listen to that. I mean, uh, Steve, what a joke. We know inflation was going up before. This invasion happened 45 days ago. Inflation has been on a rocket ship uh, for uh, before that. And we get only f- a small percentage of our gasoline uh, or our oil from Vladimir Putin. What's your take on their spin? Well, you know, look, uh, everybody is focused on Ukraine. And, uh, and it is true that what Putin is doing in Ukraine is stressing the world economy in a lot of different ways. And it certainly is contributing to inflation. But we've got an inflation problem for all kinds of reasons, supply chain problems, disruptions, fallout from COVID, all the rest. And we've got to get ahead of it. And part of it is what the president is doing. Part of it is what the Fed is doing. A lot of discussion out there about whether the Fed has not moved to increase uh, interest rates fast enough and high enough to get ahead of this inflation bubble. So, you know, there's, there's a lot of, lot of blame to go around, but the main thing is we need to get a program in place that's going to bring inflation down and stabilize this economy. But if you weren't hung up on a green agenda, wouldn't you be drilling more? We're, we're producing less, over a million dollars less of, of oil, barrels of oil a day. And that is in our control, and especially with natural gas. We could be backstopping in a very short period of time, as you know, Steve Halley, better than most, uh, Europe. And we could start being their supplier if the president would do what's best for the country and not his party. I think the president will get there. What we need is a national consensus that, yes, we need to new, do move towards Uh, increasing reliance on renewable energy. We have to recognize that's going to take a lot of time to get there. A lot of those technologies still need to be developed. In the interim, we're going to need fossil fuels. We need to try to go to those fossil fuels that least strain the environment, moving away from coal, moving towards natural gas. But we're going to have, you know, we used to say in the Bush administration, you needed all of the above energy strategy. Yeah, we want to get to a, a more renewable-based economy. But in the end, uh, in the interim, we're going to need fossil fuels. And that means we need to be drilling and investing and doing those things which we have not done over the last several years and helping not only the United States, but helping our friends and allies in Europe get through this energy transition as well. The Germans you were dealing with set up Nord Stream 1 with uh, with Russia. And we knew that was a mistake then, let alone Nord Stream 2. And now they're finally convinced that they have to get away from this evil regime at least let's show them that we'll be there to support them with more than words. But I want to fast forward. Absolutely. Yeah, I want to, Absolutely. I, I want to fast forward to what's happened in the Ukraine. 
Steve Adley, I cannot believe how how majestically and how fearlessly the Ukrainians are fighting and also the pain and suffering that they've been through. This is a barbaric Russian uh, regime. Like I, not many people thought a modern army would do. You would think bin Laden would have this type of barbarity and depravity. I did not think Russia would in fighting Ukraine in front of all the world to see. What should, how comfortable are you with what we're doing now to support Ukraine? Uh, I think we're, we're in a pretty good place. Um, I think, you know, we had a lot of problems going into it. Zelensky, uh, who's been a terrific leader of his country in this hour of crisis, he was a little bit of in denial that the Russians would uh, come into his country, even though we had very good intelligence as to what Putin was trying to do. So we were a little bit behind the curve. I think the administration probably was a little bit slow to get him the uh, equipment he needed. Also, that equipment was basically premised on the notion that probably there would be more of an insurgency. Uh, Putin's attack was through a variety of sectors. He expected the Ukrainians to collapse, uh, the war to be over in a few days. It was not because of the great resilience and courage of the Ukrainian people. It is now changed. Uh, the, the, the Russians have pulled out of the north. They're repositioning their forces in the east. And it's going to be much more a conventional war, a sort of World War II-style war, heavy with tanks, armored vehicles, artillery, as Russia tries to expand the areas it Understood. now controls in the eastern part of Ukraine. But Slovakia, that requires different kinds of armaments. I know. And the question is whether we can get those heavier kinds of conventional armaments to the Ukrainians in time. Enough of them fast enough to make a difference. Well, That's a couple of things. Slovakia is right going to give them tanks and the S-300s from the Czech Republic. We will not. Yep. Uh, we are also decided, again, the Washington Post had the story that we're considering. Today, our reporter says it's not going to happen. The MI-17 helicopters. We're also supposed to give them Howard to cannons and coastal defense drones and protective suits to safeguard against all these chemical and biological attacks that we think uh, might even be happening already. Why, why, why stop? Why give them javelins and not harpoons? Uh, why give them drones but not planes? Do you think that they held back in Korea and Vietnam? The Russians had no problem flat out uh, aiding our enemy through proxy. Why are we doing half measures? I'm not sure we are, Brian. I think we have to see. I, you know, I, I read the newspapers. I try to talk with folks within the administration. My sense. And it may be a little late to the party. My sense is that they have decided to provide these kinds of heavier armaments. You know, what the Ukrainians need is they need tanks. They need armored personnel carriers. They need standoff missiles that allow them to back off the Russian Navy in the in the Black Sea so that they cannot take uh, Odessa by some kind of amphibious operation. Um, I think some of those are coming. The German, the sorry, the British prime minister announced that he was going to provide armored personnel carriers and also uh, standoff anti-ship missiles. This is also the good. So stay tuned. The administration is out saying that they are making a shift. The Defense Department is saying that they're looking at all the things that were on your list. I just hope they are, and I hope they can get them delivered in time in order to make a difference on the ground to support the Ukrainians as they resist what's going to be a crushing Russian assault. Steve, I hope I hope your great contacts have better information than our reporters, because I would love to have uh, I'd love to have 
Our man, and I don't think President Biden, I think at his age, I don't really want him in Kiev. I don't think it's healthy for him or necessary. But I would love to see Secretary of Defense Austin, who's used to war zones there, uh, just to see for himself what's going on. And I think it would be a great symbol. Yeah. Uh, I would love to see our embassy restaffed like Italy is doing over the weekend. Yeah. I would love to see us give our harpoons rather than Boris Johnson give his service-to-air missiles. Uh, I just don't understand... Uh, Vladimir Putin has proven to us that any time we show any type of hesitation, he looks at it as weakness. I don't know when we're going to learn that lesson. Now, the Ambassador Murkova acknowledged Tuesday that she met with General Atomics representatives about getting these sophisticated uh, drones and different hardware. Um, I understand these are stuff that's going to help in the battlefield. High lethal strike capability drones. Can you do a deal like that without the government's permission? Can a government go and do a deal with a U.S. company like that? Uh, They can. They can approach the company and buy direct. But, of course, if the items are subject to either munitions list or uh, other export control restrictions, they have to get permission from the U.S. government. So you could have a direct purchase. But, again, it would have to be, since these items would be on those lists, You'd have to get permission by the U.S. government. I want to make it clear. I'm with you totally. We ought to be all in on this fight with the Ukrainians. Uh, Putin needs to fail in this fight. He needs to fail in his strategic objectives, and his army needs to be beaten up so that he doesn't resume this war at a later time and doesn't try to move into other places as well. This this is the, 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 the place and the time to defeat Putin's objectives. We weren't able to do it after Georgia. We weren't able to do it in 2016 when he went into Ukraine the first time. We've got to do it this time. Steve, I I just think that you get it. You're a lot smarter with much more government experience. But I think it's pretty clear that if you look at what China's doing now, locking down 25 million people without food and water, what they're doing to the Uyghurs, what the Russians are doing, the way they fight wars – actually shooting at and targeting civilians because they can't beat their army, kidnapping children to the tune of over 100,000, we have no choice but to lead the world. There is no runner-up. The U.K. doesn't have the power. Australia doesn't have the power. It has to be us. We feel burned about Iraq and Afghanistan. In some ways, I understand that. In some ways, it's a misinterpreting about what America is. We're so into beating ourselves up. We don't realize how much better we are fundamentally than anyone else. We don't have the choice not to lead. Do you see it that way? Absolutely. I think the American people have to recognize the challenge that is before us. You know, we thought Europe was all set. They could handle Russia. We could move our attention elsewhere. Russia's invasion of Ukraine has shown that that's not the case. The Europeans cannot handle Russia without us. We know we have a challenge with China. And it's a challenge not only in Northeast Asia, but really globally. We've got to deal with that challenge. And we've been neglecting the Middle East. We've had three presidents who wanted to pull out of the Middle East. Well, guess what? We still have interests in the Middle East. It's amazing that the, that the rulers of Saudi Arabia and the UAE wouldn't accept a call from the president of the United amazing. States and would not increase oil production in order to help get this through this crisis. That's because we have not been standing by them with their real security uh, concerns, as, for example, when both Saudi Arabia and UAE were rocketed by the Houthis out of Yemen. We didn't show up in a timely manner 
uh, to show the kind of loyalty to them that we expect them to show to us. So we've got challenges in the Middle East, particularly if, 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 if Iran continues moving towards a nuclear weapon. We have challenges in Europe. We've got challenges in China. And I don't think the American people realize what a, a challenging situation we are in. It is probably the most challenging situation since uh, the, the dawn of the Cold War. And only we can do this. But we're going to need friends and allies if we're going to succeed. We can't do it alone. And that's why the outreach and working our friends and allies uh, is it terribly important if we're going to get the leverage we need to deal with these challenges now in three major theaters of the world. Yeah, and who the Houthis get support from? Iran. That's an attack from Iran. And when you say to Saudi yeah. Arabia, we're not, you know, we're going to take the Houthis off the terror watch list. Saudi Arabia said, okay, great. Why don't you go jump in a lake then? Uh, we appreciate there it. There you go. So, Steve, there you th- go. yeah, thanks so much, Steve. Thanks for putting in perspective. Appreciate it. Anytime, Brian. Nice you, to be with you. Same here. one 408 I'll take you calls next. Then we get the best in the business. One of the finest economists in the country, Gerard Baker of the Wall Street Journal. Tell us where inflation really is from. Brian Kilmeade. Pull up a chair and join me, Rachel Campos Duffy. And me, former U.S. Congressman Sean Duffy, as we share our perspective on the discussions happening at kitchen tables across America. Download from the kitchen table, the Duffy's at foxnewspodcasts.com or wherever you download podcasts. A talk show that's real. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. I just love talking to Steve Hadley, and I just find it fascinating what's going on right now. You know where I feel about this Ukraine war. It's 6,000 miles away, but it's so important. And now Republicans who don't think we really, and we know a lot of them, who don't feel we belong over there are saying that anyone who is supporting Ukraine and thinks we should be doing more are... are um, I don't know, not neo-Nazis, but I guess they just think we're globalists. I'm not globalism, just being practical. We let Russia exist. We let them crush these countries. What's going to stop them crushing Moldova? What's going to stop them going back and finishing off Georgia? What's going to have them go back to rattling the cage of some other small Estonia uh, country? And we'll just say, it's not really our problem. It's too far away. America's got their own problems. We have our own southern border. One that has nothing to do with the other. When we come back, Gerard Baker. If I talk to anybody, anyone talk about the price of everything, even if they're wealthy, they're upset about what's happening. Gerard Baker on why. A radio show like no other. It's Brian Kilmeade. Putin's invasion of Ukraine has driven up gas prices and food prices all over the world. We saw today's inflation data. 70% of the increase in prices in March came from Putin's price hike in gasoline. I'm doing everything within my power by executive orders to bring down the price and address the Putin price hike. Putin price hike. That's it. It's the invasion of Ukraine. Uh, Gerard Baker, editor of the uh, editor at large of the Wall Street Journal and host of the Wall Street Journal uh, at large, Fridays at seven thirty on Fox Business. Gerard, welcome back. 
Thanks, Brian. Great to be here. So uh, let me ask you, is it all Putin's fault, Putin's price hike? Does anyone buy this? You know, that was that would have been in the world of statistics, Brian, that attempt by the president yesterday would have been would have been a crime. It would have been a violation of the criminal law on statistics to the way he picked that particular item in the March consumer price index. Of course, it's not. Of course, it's not not Putin's price price. Index. Inflation, Brian, before the invasion of um, Ukraine by Putin, the inflation rate was. Seven percent, um, so, you know, and it had gone from when when Biden took office, it was it was two, it was just over it was a little bit over it was just under three percent. So in that year, that it prices more than the, the rate of inflation more than doubled. And then you know, yes, there's been a small additional effect from oil prices going up. But by the way, they haven't they've actually come back a little bit. So so even that effect has been tempered. Of course it's not. Of course it's not Vladimir Putin. Prices have been going up. Look, it's not entirely Joe Biden either. I don't want to you know mislead of course. people. It's you know prices have been going up around the world. It's true. There's supply chain issues, but we know, Brian, for absolute sure, because they were warned about it at the time that when they came in, when the Democrats came in and decided to spend all that addition, we, you know, remember we'd already spent trillions in COVID relief. They did they did this uh, another round of COVID relief for nearly two trillion dollars. That was pouring money. That was that was the equivalent of pouring gasoline on a fire because inflation was already building up. The right thing to do then would have been to be restrained, to take anti-inflationary measures, to be cautious and prudent. And what they did. Is they were reckless. They threw this money. They were warned about it by people like Larry Summers, their own Larry Summers, uh, and other Democrats who said this is this is not gonna, this is not a good idea. This is going to fuel inflation, and the inflation flames uh, just took off, and that's what we're dealing with. And p- the Putin effect is just a minor, minor little addition uh, right at the end. You know, it's it just they just want to change reality and just say, you know, Putin invades a country or victims of that, and I'm going to I'm going to uh, deplete the oil reserves because of that, and. Uh, no, no. I mean, you, you, it's, if you can't have credibility in something that matters so much to so many, where else? Why would you put that on the line? Who's advising him? Uh, because you've got to get the American people to believe what you're saying. Listen to what yeah. he said in the past. Cut 15. Some folks have raised worries that this could be a sign of persistent inflation. But that's not our view. Over time, as the economy is turning back on, we'd see some of these transitory effects. That's what we. That's what's been predicted. I'm not saying that this is a one-month phenomenon, but I think over the medium term, we'll see inflation decline back toward normal levels. All of the economists uh, that the president has been relying on suggest that there is a transitory nature, nature to the inflation. These one-time increases in prices are likely to, to have only transitory effects on inflation. Economists call all these things transitory effects. Their expectation is that these inflation uh, rises will be transitory, that they will come back down next year, and that one of the best things we can do is pass his agenda. So he has no credibility because of that was Jen Psaki, uh, Secretary of Energy, Granholm, Jerome Powell, the Fed chair who he just renewed. So these are all these people that told us this would not be a problem. Not only that, we hit a 40-year high. You know, there are two things. You know, you know, when you hear lots of people using the same word, you know two things about, tra- in this case, transitory. You know two things about it. One, you know it's a message, right? It's a talking point that they've all been given. And two, you know that it's almost, cert- almost certainly wrong. It's almost certainly a falsehood. And that is exactly, that's, you know, this, this was the message. The message went out, we've got a, you know, they knew they had an inflation problem, but they dismissed it. But remember, initially they said, well, initially they said it was in trans- transitory. Then they said, actually, it was a good thing. It was a sign of the strong economy. Then they said it was all the fault of the um, 
you know, of, of, of oil companies and big, 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 big corporations. They just look. I, this and 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 that they keep coming up. But again, as you said, the latest thing is the Putin price hike. They keep coming up with these attempted explanations. Nobody's buying it, Brian. Nobody is buying it. I mean, and and it looks. It just looks like you know gimmick after gimmick, and then they come up with these other measures like this. You know, it, you know, for going after oil companies supposedly for not for not for not you know for not um, uh, developing uh, oil uh, wells or yeah. know, on, on on federal land, which which they by the way they've been ban- which they've tried to ban since they got into office, so they're blaming them now. Then this thing yesterday with now they're going to lift the ban on ethanol in summer. You know, these are just gimmicks, and they don't have any effect whatsoever. They they they. They they think I don't know who's advising them, but it makes they think that it look, makes them look like they're dealing with the problem. When in fact, I think to most Americans, they look at it and they say, "What are these people doing? They haven't got a clue. They know they're responsible for the inflation. They're the government in power. They're the ones who have to deal with it. They're coming up with these ex- excuses for it and these pointless, meaningless exercises that aren't going to do anything about it. Nobody's buying it right now. The stats show, and I guess you would know this better than me. I guess some of the core numbers show that people are willing to pay that extra money to get the meat, to get the cereal, to get the eggs. Uh, They're paying for gas, but we'll see what in terms of vacations, travel, we'll see how long people tend to shop and and what's going to be going on and how it's going to affect restaurants uh, on down the line. The ripple effect could really get us into a recession. But Gerard, you also wrote another interesting column about uh, Macron's election. You have a real sense of what's happening around the world. I mean, I watch a lot of the international feeds. I'm up at 2.30 in the morning watching the BBC and Sky News. They have inflation, too. They got worries. But the big thought conventionally was this whole Donald Trump Brexit philosophy uh, phenomenon is done. We're done with these, you know, these uh, anti-establishment leaders and movements. But what does Macron's runoff election with the uh, Maria Le Pen mean to you? Yeah, it's a really important point, and again, you know, it's it's understandable that people aren't necessarily all that interested in the French election. The French don't sure. really have that much importance in the world, but it is important for this reason, and this is what I wrote about this week, because precisely because of the point you just raised there, Brian. You know, when Brexit happened, in, in Brexit was the first thing that happened, and then Donald Trump was elected, and you know, it was a clear sign that the people of Britain and the people of America had had enough with their political leaderships. They had had enough of twenty years of being told open borders, you know, that their culture was terrible, that um, that they, they needed to, you know, shut down all their domestic energy production and embrace this green agenda. They'd had enough of be, of these elites, you know, both in government and in the media and in, and in, in, in universities and in the entertainment business and everywhere else telling them what to do. So the British people had their opportunity to, to, to choose and they voted for Brexit. The American people at the first opportunity in 2016 had their opportunity to choose and they voted for Donald Trump. Now, when that happened, the elites all said, oh, my God, Instead of saying, instead of doing the right thing, Brian, and saying, you know what, the people have voted, we should actually listen to them, we should maybe change course. They didn't. They said, this is terrible. It was all the Russians, and you know Donald Trump's uh, colluding with the Russians. And they spent, but in Britain, they spent three years trying to undo the result of the Brexit referendum. And in the United States, they spent the entire first uh, Donald Trump's entire term in office trying to undermine him um, at every turn. Again, media, government, everywhere else. And then you'll remember in 2017, Macron was elected, um, and they and the sigh of relief went up from these elites, saying, "Oh, you know what? This is great. Macron is the ultimate elitist. He worked for an investment bank, and he's you know a French um, sort of. He went to the best schools in France and all that kind of thing. So he's very much a centrist. He was elected. And they all, said, the rest of the world, they all said, "Oh, thank God for that. The French going away. They're not voting for these populists." What we saw on Sunday, Brian, and they have they have a two round, they have a runoff system, so that the Macron goes up against Le Pen in the second round um, now in, two, in a week from Sunday. What we saw is that 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 strong 
longing that people have for changing the way their country is going is applies in France too. Look, I don't like Marine Le Pen's said some very unpleasant things in the past. I don't like a lot of what she says. But people are so angry and so frustrated in France too. And they, are, they have been other countries in Europe too. Hungary has a very populist leader. Um, uh, other countries, Poland has got a, a populist leader. This is a global phenomenon, Brian, where people are tired of being told by elites, this is what you need to believe. If you don't believe it, you're stupid or racist or bigoted. And if you don't, and if you vote for these people, you're stupid, racist, or bigoted. And you know you, you need to get back in your box and behave yourself. People are, are people are, are standing up again in revolt, and they're doing. And they're doing look, the Republicans are going to wipe out the Democrats probably in the midterms this year. Here in Britain, Britain's conservatives, the populist conservatives, are going to be in power for several more years. We'll see what happens in France a week from Sunday. We'll see what happens in other European countries. This is a this is a movement. Brian, that is around the world, and it is, and until the elites get the message, it right. will get stronger and stronger and stronger. And you talk about the religion of climate change in this whole new right. generation. Uh, I mean, uh, we're seeing what's going on and, and the, how our security has been sacrificed because of this and how people are talking about stuff that is clearly not ready. And these, this global science that they say is accepted, settled science is not settled science by a long shot. And people are pushing back on that. No doubt about it. You want to be responsible. But there's, I'm of another mind. I also think the pandemic has a role. When you see what happened yeah, with Australia, yeah. New Zealand, Canada, when, yeah, when I see yeah. the – you guys had vicious – or they had vicious crackdowns in the U.K. You know, they, yeah, got, they released yeah. them before us. And, you know, I'm not pleased the way our country acted in certain states. But that, that also, I think, jarred the average citizen's perception of their government, don't you think? Totally, totally. And by the way, it was exactly of the same piece with all of those things we talked about, with the climate change extremists, uh, with the immigrants, the open borders extremists, people who want open borders, the culture, the woke, the woke warriors, all these people. It's all of the, it's the same people making the same case. It's always the left, the progressive left who control not just you know governments in some countries, but actually the whole establishment. They control the, media. Much the political, the permanent government, the media, uh, acad- academia, everywhere else. And you're absolutely right, Brian. And this COVID thing was the latest manifestation of it. And you know you've got it in some states here. I'm in New York City, as you are. You know we had lockdowns. You know until people couldn't stand it anymore. Some states, of course, did much better. Florida, a Republican state, had a very limited lockdown. And by the way, what's happened? Florida's ended up doing better on pretty well every measure than New York. So it does. That's exactly, that's exactly right, Brian. It fits in. It's the same we know best message. It's we know best whether it's on you know, your oil energy production. We know best whether it's on your immigration. We know best on law and order. We know best on you know, whether or not your country is a good country or not, or whether you should be allowed to say certain words or all of this transgender stuff. And it's the same on COVID. We know best. You must do what you're told. We know best. And people are not standing for it. And they didn't right. they, they voted out – they voted in Donald Trump in 2016. And as I say, the Republicans are riding very, very high at the moment. They, they, you know, the Demo- that's the thing to me, Brian. Also, you know, back to the, sort of the original point we were talking about with inflation. They don't seem to get the message. They don't seem to want you – know, we saw what happened in Virginia last year with Glenn Youngkin when he won that huge victory over Perry McAuliffe. People were tired. Parents, you know, this parents revolt that we're seeing in Florida. You know what Ron DeSantis is doing, uh, passing that that law, and the re- left's reaction to it, saying, "Oh my God, don't say gay." You know, lying about what it says. But the key thing, Brian, is it's them. It's the it's the authoritarian left saying, "We know what's best for your children. You are not. We're going to tell your <clears throat> we're going to tell your your five year old and six year old children what we want to tell them, not what you, the parent, wants to tell them." And people are turning against it. There's going to be a major major landslide here. 
and, and uh, because the Democrats just won't get the message any other way. Uh, Jerry, uh, just real quick, uh, you don't have the best line, but I do want to get your take on this. A lot of people listening said, well, but I don't love this autocratic leader in Hungary. I don't love the autocratic leader in Poland. You know, and, and there was a lot of things about Donald Trump that was unsettling because he was ripping the media and he was ripping Congress. So do you have a problem with the authoritarianism that arose in those countries? It's hugely exaggerated, Brian. The media in this country, um, you know, demonize these guys, demonize Viktor Orban, the, the Hungarian leader. Look, Hungary's not a perfect model. Um, you know, there are things, much of the media, I mean, what, you know, one of the ironies, Brian, is what people complain about uh, here when they talk about Hungary, what's going on in Hungary, is they say, oh, the media, the media all thinks the same way. The media in, is all sort of, you know, pro, pro, the, pro, pro the government. Well, you know, what about the United States, with the exception of, you know, the Wall Street Journal and Fox News and a couple of others? The media in this country is completely dominant in one direction too. But Hungary's not perfect. No country's perfect. But it's a democracy, and people had, a, had an opportunity to vote. They had an opportunity to vote two weeks ago. Nobody, you know, nobody takes away their right to vote. There, there is an opposition. They have free speech. They're, they, have, they have a constitution that protects them. They have independent courts. It's, it's crazy. But, but what, they, what, they, what they don't like, right, is that this man stands up for traditional values. Now he does it again. He has a slight. He has an authoritarian manner. And like Donald Trump, he does some things and says some things that you and I maybe don't always like. But he stands up for the values that a lot of uh, that, that have been trashed by so many people in Europe and in this country for so long. That's what people are voting for, and that's what these progressives uh, in these media, in the media and elsewhere, that's what they can't stand, and that's why that's why they demonize these people and tell us that these ter- they're terrible autocrats. Good stuff. Always great to talk to you. Uh, now the economy's front and center. We'll need you more and more. Jerry Baker, thank you. Thanks, Brian. And we'll Thanks, watch you Fridays, uh, 730 uh, FBN. Listen, when we come back, I'll take your calls, one 408 We're also hoping to announce during this show that we got the subway shooter. Uh, right now he is still at large, but at least we know who he is. This is The Brian Kilmeade Show. Expanding your knowledge base. It's The Brian Kilmeade Show. The more you listen, the more you'll know. It's Brian Kilmeade. In an effort to reduce gas prices, President Biden announced that he will be allowing gasoline that uses a 15% ethanol blend. This blend is called E15, and because it requires less crude oil, it can cost 10 cents per gallon less on average. Okay, so that's, uh, what was that, 10% less? 10%, that's 15, that's 15% blend. Saves 10 pence per gallon, 16 gallons in a tank of gas. Average national price of, that comes out to, yeah, still not enough to save the Democrats in the midterms. Uh, That is uh, Stephen Colbert, nothing but politics for him. He might as well be on MSNBC. Did you see that Keith Olbermann came out and said, I keep asking to go back on MSNBC, they won't let me? That, uh, that Rachel Maddow only going to go back and work one day a week? What's going on with – they just signed her to like to a $10 million contract, didn't they? Well, yeah, but I think they don't want her to go elsewhere, and they also then um, – they're going to, I think, have their streaming service, right, Peacock? But no, I did see that Overman wanted to go there, and they said no. And you see CNN only has about 200,000 oh, – Yeah, they're not doing so well with the For the CNN Plus. Plus. Think about all that high-priced talent they have over there. I know, and apparently they also said they're not going to really lay anyone off. They have some upfronts, I think, in the middle of May – so that's going to still be all cheery, but it look towards the end of May for them to do some layoffs. Wow. I, I don't understand the concept. I mean, if you're having trouble with your cable channels, get people to take your streaming channel. 
but now to create another channel with basically the same people wearing jean shirts, I don't get. No, I would agree. The interesting thing right, is like Discovery is sort of like a bigger corporate thing. So I think there's going to be some like merging of different streaming services or maybe packages going right. forward. But that, then is it CNN? They should call it well, meaning serving, you know, I don't know. I don't know some other crafty name and then you'll They won't probably CNN. lean on you to come up with an answer for that. I mean, they probably I'm should, asking but a lot they of might questions. not. <laughs> <laughs> They're also dealing with their own issues, I think, otherwise as well. I don't know what you mean. I haven't been following it. That's right. No managers Uh, leaving. uh, Alex, uh, listening online in Mountain View, California. Hey, Alex. Well, hi. Yeah, I'd like to make two points if there's sufficient time. Uh, The first point is um, the Ukrainians lack the quality and quantity of weapons necessary to fight off the Russians because during the three decades after the end of the Soviet Union, the Ukrainians have been so corrupt and incompetent, they failed to modernize their nation. And I think that before we give them any more assistance, we should get solid assurances from President Zelensky that they're going to commit to uh, to modernizing their nation. And then the second point I want to make is that I think a lot of the news media, including especially Fox News, talks a lot about how China might help Russia. But the reality is that India has been helping Russia to avoid economic sanctions agree. since 2014. And I-, I agree. Alex, it's a very good point. Not happy with India. Why the president didn't rip into them, I don't know. But India doesn't get along with China. So Russia's their wedge. So in their own self-interest, they feel as though if they're tight with Russia, that they'll keep China off their backs. That's their thought. From the Fox News Radio studios in New York City, giving you opinions and facts with a positive approach, it's Brian Kilmeade. All right, coming to you from 48th and 6th, right in New New York City, the site of the the latest terror attack, right, a subway bombing in Brooklyn. This is the Brian Kilmeade uh, radio show, heard around the country, heard around the world, as we still try to find this guy, uh, uh, who Frank James, who's at large. We have his picture. We got eyewitnesses. We have his, uh, evidently, he drops his keys in his credit card. Uh, Thankfully, he dropped his axe. Yesterday, almost 24 hours ago, he had a smoke bomb. He left some in there. He had fireworks. He also had a gun, a Glock. And for some reason, I'm so glad he did, it jammed. So regardless, uh, 13 to 20 people were struck. Uh, Nobody fatally. uh, Nobody's in critical condition. We hope they're all going to be 100%. But we got to find this guy, another deranged character. Uh, I could be from the homeless population. Uh, before we get to Bill Browder, the CEO of Hermitage Capital, uh, he is the number one enemy, perhaps, of this guy named Vladimir Putin. He's got a brand new book out called Freezing Order, uh, a true story of money laundering, murder, and surviving Vladimir Putin's wrath uh, in a second. So first, let's go to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. Your family budget, your ability to fill up your tank, none of it should hinge on whether a dictator declares war and commits genocide and half a world away. Yeah, no kidding. Uh, finally, President Biden calls Russian barbarity and depravity genocide. And more importantly, the Washington Post reports U.S. is prepared to send better and more lethal weapons. That has since been walked back. Finally, people have to say at the highest levels of the American government, Ukraine must win for them and for us. 
Number two. What's happened here is that even though wages are now going up at about 6%, which is the highest they've gone up in decades, the 8.5% obviously is more than that. And so you have consumers losing ground on their purchasing power. Well, that is uh, Steve Radner, Democrat, uh, inflation, number one uh, story in, in the economics in this country. But the president of the United States wants us to believe this is the Putin uh, price increase. No one's buying it. There's other things that are factor into it. He is one of them, but not the primary driver that makes your dollar worth more. Less. Number one. Aboard a Manhattan-bound entry, 10 people were shot, seven males, three females, and they were removed to area hospitals. An additional 13 people suffered injuries. Yeah, uh, that is some of the NYPD chief's remarks yesterday. Uh, As we try to get to the bottom of why this deranged shooter opened up firing at a crowded in a crowded subway yesterday and was able to get away how he did it what he planned and it was anyone else involved we need to get those answers to that story and that is the number one story in new york and around the country but for me uh with bill browder here with the brand new book out bill you one of the per- people to unwind who vladimir putin was what he was up to and how dangerous he was early on is this the vladimir putin that you knew and were trying to get through america's heads how dangerous he is yeah, I've known Vladimir Putin to be a murderer and to be a, a serial killer for, for many years. Um, I went around the world trying to get the United States, the European Union, the U.K., Canada to get tough on Vladimir Putin, to treat him as the killer, as the mafia boss that he is. And nobody wanted to listen. Nobody wanted to, to hear me. They, they thought, there must be something wrong with you. You're out of your mind. This, you know, We deal with him. He's a head of state. He's a sovereign leader. We have to deal with him. And um, and this is what's happened is by by molly coddling him, by not responding to his previous atrocities, by not doing things, by not sanctioning him the way we should have, he got empowered. He realized that that he could do whatever he wanted and he could get away with it. And that's why he is in Ukraine right now. Uh, well, tell everyone the McGinsky Act and how that is up until this invasion, the most serious thing to really hit Vladimir Putin's pocketbook. So I had a lawyer in Russia. His name is Sergei Magnitsky. He um, uncovered a $230 million government corruption scheme. He exposed it. He testified against the officials involved. And in retaliation, he was arrested, tortured for 358 days, and murdered on November 16, 2009. Since then, I've put aside my activities as a businessman and have made, made it my life's mission to go after the people that killed him and make sure they face justice. And the Magnitsky Act, named after Sergei Magnitsky, is the law passed in Washington in 2012, which freezes the assets and bans the visas of human rights violators in Russia. It's since been expanded to 33 other countries. There's 34 countries with the Magnitsky Act. It is the basis for which, it's the template for which um, we are now going after the Putin oligarchs. So uh, one of the blessings was uh, that you didn't think at the time was that Barack Obama didn't sign into an executive order. He wasn't really too into this. But Congress was and John McCain was. Yeah, and so and so this was so I, I was blocked at every step of the way. Uh, Obama had this thing called the Russian reset. He wanted to reset relations with Russia after after the bad relations between Bush and Putin. And they had invaded Georgia already. They had invaded Georgia already, um, and and Obama tried to stop me. And and um, and, and it's interesting because um, in in in, there, in America, there's two sources of power: there's Congress and there's the executive branch. And in in Congress, we had a total bipartisan. Uh, Democrats and Republicans supporting the Magnitsky Act, and we overcame the uh, uh, Obama reset, and we got the Magnitsky Act in place. 
as a law. And, and, and because it was a law, um, it couldn't be re- re- repealed, rescinded um, by the stroke of a pen. And, and it's been in place in spite of all sorts of efforts by Vladimir Putin to get rid of it. And he made it his single largest foreign policy priority to get rid of it. And it ha- it's survived all sorts of craziness and Russian interference to try to get rid of Bill, it. Bill, give me an example of how it's exercised, how it's used, for example. Well, the, 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 I mean, the, the main way I've seen it used that, that I mean, it's been used in many, many ways. It's not just against Russians now. It's against um, all sorts of people. But it's been used against the killers of Sergei Magnitsky. They're all on that list. But not just them. They freeze their assets, don't let them travel. Right. So their assets get frozen. And when the U.S. Treasury says your assets are frozen, it doesn't even matter if you have assets in the United States. No bank in the world wants to do business with a person who's on the U.S. Treasury sanctions list because those banks will be in trouble with the U.S. government. So you could have a bank in Dubai or in Switzerland, and all of a sudden the accounts are frozen of that person. And it's extremely devastating for anybody who's put on the sanctions list. And you think that Putin's felt this? There's no question he's felt it. This has now been applied not just to Magnitsky's killers but to all, all sorts of oligarchs. There's about 20 oligarchs who are on this list. One of them, Roman Abramovich, one of the richest oligarchs, just today he had $7 billion frozen in the Channel Island of Jersey off of, the US, off of Britain's coast. He had $7 billion, maybe even a little bit more, frozen in the Cayman Islands. Um, I mean this, this – Forced is, to sell Chelsea? He was forced to sell Chelsea. Um, there was even a story in the Sun, one of the newspapers in London, that he was begging friends for money. So, a million dollars a day. Yeah. <laughs> you know, he, he's got a high burn rate for running his lifestyle. And um, and so, you know, the way I look at it is that um, we, we've got a lot of – we've done a lot of good things so far, more than, than I could have ever imagined in terms of uh, sanctioning these people. But the one thing that we haven't done, and this is the really upsetting part of the whole story, is that the war is costing Putin a billion dollars a day to run. And he's getting a billion dollars a day from the Germans and the French and the Italians buying his oil and gas. And so it's kind of a wash at the moment. He could – you know, if uh, – he can carry on with his war for a long time if we don't if, – if our allies don't stop buying his oil and gas. Here's Vladimir Putin talking about Bill. And by the way, Bill Browder's got a brand-new book out. Go grab it, uh, Freezing Order, a true story of money laundering, murder, and surviving Vladimir Putin's wrath. Here's Vladimir Putin talking about you. We can actually permit official representatives of the United States, including the members of this very commission um, headed by Mr. Mueller. We can let them into the country, and they will be present to this questioning – but in this case, there is, a, there is another condition. Um, this kind of effort should be a mutual one. Then we would expect that the Americans would reciprocate and they, they would question officials, including the um, officers of law enforcement and intelligence services of the United States, whom we believe are – who have something to do with illegal actions on the territory of Russia. And we have – to um, to request the presence of our law enforcement. For instance, we can bring up the Mr. Mr. Browder in this particular case. Business associates of Mr. Browder have earned over one and a half billion dollars in Russia. They never paid any taxes, neither in Russia nor in the United States, and yet the money escaped the country. So he says you didn't pay any taxes. He would like you back. <laughs> so that I mean, was a that was a meeting. It was the post game of the Trump Putin press. This was the Helsinki summit. Helsinki Helsinki summit, 2018. President Putin, President Trump, had a secret meeting. Afterwards, a, a journalist asked about these 12 uh, uh, military intelligence officers, 
and Putin said, I want Bill Browder and his, you know, the, his, his U.S. intelligence officers. And um, I mean, you know, I mean, so on one hand, it's terrifying. On the other hand, I say to myself, I've really achieved something because, I mean, if, if I've gotten under Vladimir Putin's skin, then the Magnitsky Act really, really upsets him. Uh, there's no question. Uh, here's what Joe Biden said yesterday. Cut 25. Your family budget, your ability to fill up your tank, none of it should hinge on whether a dictator declares war and commits genocide in a half a world away. So he, he brought up genocide for the first time. And, and good, good for him to do that. He, he brought up genocide. He called him a war criminal previously. He, he's, um, he said, Putin's got to go. I mean, the thing that I always worry about is I watch these terrible images. I mean, just the most heartbreaking things I've ever seen on television. You know, children, women raped. I mean, just the, it's just so awful. awful. It's, not, it's not even – it's just it's hard to describe how awful it is. And my, my worry – is that somehow we end up going back to normal with Putin. And we can't do that if the, if the leader of the free world has called him a war criminal and declared it as genocide. There's no way that that's possible. And, and I, I, I mean, I, I thank God that, that we have now defined it. So and now that it's defined, we, we have to finish this off. I just uh, yeah, I think the president's slow to understand that. The weapons are coming way too slow. He has backed off sending up these attack helicopters, according to our reporters, uh, even though the Washington Post talked about them considering it. Uh, we can't let – I mean the Brits are saying, you, you know, with America's not going to give you harpoons, we will give you, we will give you rockets to be able to take out ships in the Black Sea from shore. I don't know why we're going so slow. On some level, I think we fear him losing power. We should not fear it. Uh, Bill Browder is going to be back with us in another segment. Go out and order his book. I know you love the first one. This one's called Freezing Order. Don't move. Diving deep into today's top stories, it's Brian Kilmeade. If you're interested in it, Brian's talking about it. You're with Brian Kilmeade. One of the spokespeople of the invaders said they are considering using chemical weapons against the defenders of Mariupol. We take it very seriously. I want to remind world leaders that a possible use of chemical weapons had been already discussed by the Russian military. And they might have used it already in Mariupol. With me right now is Bill Browder. His brand new book, Freezing Order, is out now. It's the true story of money laundering, murder, and surviving Vladimir Putin's wrath. And Bill, a lot of people said to me, you know, are asking me, just now clued into your passion in life. Who is Vladimir Putin? What's he up to? Can he be reasoned with? And has he changed? First off, uh, before I get to that, on Zelensky, he's saying that I want everybody to know that my intelligence says they're going to use chemical weapons. They have already, don't you think? <clears throat> Apparently in, in Mariupol, there, there's evidence of, of the use of chemical weapons. Will he go further? There's no question. But Vladimir Putin cannot be seen to be weak. And, um, and he's weak now. He, he's lost lots of troops. And the only thing that he's got going for him is um, his ability to kill civilians, and that's what he's going to do. And uh, uh, it's going to be heartbreaking. Whatever heartbreak we've seen in Bucha, in Mariupol, and, and Kharkiv is nothing compared to what he's going to do going forward. And, and we should prepare ourselves, and we, we, in an ideal world, we should do more for the Ukrainians militarily so that they don't have to suffer these terrible human tragedies. Because he, they're fighting for all of us. They're fighting for the next stop, the Georgia invasion, the Moldova invasion. Uh, uh, you, you talk about those invasions. What about the Estonia invasion, where, where uh, Estonia is a member of NATO? I mean, you, you think Putin's, Putin will be there. And, you know, P Putin looks at what happened here, 
And he says, okay, you know, America let Afghanistan fall to the Taliban for the sake of 3,000 troops who weren't even in combat. Does, does America have any appetite to have a fight with us over Estonia? Probably not. That, 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 that was his logic for, um, for starting this whole thing. Miscalculation, clearly. Clearly a miscalculation. He's lost at least about 20,000. According to the Ukrainians, he's lost 20,000 people. Which is twice as many troops that were lost in Afghanistan over a nine-and-a-half-year war. Zelensky leaves. Ukrainians probably just collapse. He stays. That is the difference in your view? Well, I mean, there's a lot of differences, but you can't have – I mean, <clears throat> so first of all, Zelensky is an amazing leader. And, and you never really know a leader until somebody is put under duress. And this man was put under duress, and he just rose to the occasion. And it's just remarkable and, and laudable and brave. And he's truly a, a brave and, and, and amazing leader. And he has led the Ukrainians to fight back the Russians. And the Russians have, have been totally decimated. And humiliated. Humiliated beyond belief. But the people have rallied around Putin in Russia. I should believe those polls that says his 83% approval rating? Uh, unfortunately, you should. I mean, I, I, it's, it's hard to imagine, but the Russians are all thinking that, that um, Putin is a good guy, that the Ukrainians are, are subhuman, they should be killed. Putin is killing these subhuman people. And, I mean, I've seen these interviews that just shock me. I mean, it's, this is like Nazi Germany now. Tell me about your book. So I, I, uh, I've just come out with a book. Um, I spent three years working on a book tracking how the Putin regime and Putin launders his money in the West. And, and then the book was finished <clears throat> and coming out in the seven-week period where the whole world is trying to figure out where Putin's laundering his money in the West. And we found it out. And we found that in the case of the Magnitsky murder, um, which is my lawyer, Sergei Magnitsky, who uncovered a $230 million corruption scheme, we discovered that Putin got some of the money. And we also discovered that this one scam was one of like thousands of scams. And Putin has stolen hundreds of billions of dollars. Do, has the government got in touch with you? I, I've been in touch with the government. And, and this in government— In a way that you think they're listening? The Treasury? Well, the, the, the best way to get a government to listen is not to have private meetings, but is to come on your show. Um, then, then the government listens. And— uh, uh, if 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 I'm saying something and I know that that a million other people are hearing what I'm saying, then the government will listen. Understood. So uh, right now uh, they're sanctioning a lot of oligarchs. You said they've only sanctioned twelve. There's over a hundred. That's correct. And and um, I think they've, the, the numbers now maybe up to twenty, but there's 118 um, Russians on the Forbes rich list. And it, what you have to know is that that when the, when somebody is an oligarch, they can't be an oligarch unless Putin gives them permission to be an oligarch. And the deal is that he gets half the money, and the deal is that they do whatever he tells them to do. And so um, everyone says, well, are there any good oligarchs or, or the, you know, wh- who are the good oligarchs? The answer is that <clears throat> unless an oligarch is ready to go on the record and say Vladimir Putin is a war criminal, um, they're all part of his criminal enterprise. You optimistic? Uh, how do you think this ends? Everybody asks me that. What's the end game? How does it end? And the answer is, um, I don't think it ends. I mean, I, I think that the, the, it's a very low probability outcome that that the Ukrainians win, maybe maybe fifteen percent. I think it's a low probability outcome that the Russians win. I think the more likely outcome is that this thing just carries on and on and on in the most horrible way. Finland and Sweden join NATO. Uh, Finland and Sweden absolutely join NATO, and and I'm, it's remarkable that they haven't joined NATO so far. I mean, what? I mean, you know, why would you not be a member of NATO when, when I mean, you know, it's like, you know, 
Russia, Russia goes into Ukraine. We say, you know, Ukrainians have to fight by themselves. Why would Finland and Sweden not want to, you know, not want to be a member of NATO? And what I love most about it, that's exactly what Vladimir Putin threatened and said did not want. Pick up freezing order. Thanks, Bill. Radio that makes you think. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. We're paying an awful lot potentially for a deal with Iran, which would just buy us a couple of years on the nuclear front, not more. It would actually make Iran's ability to destabilize the region. It would increase their ability because of all the resources that would flow to them. Plus, I think there's one other positive with the Saudis. I think it's a question of when, not if. The Saudis would be interested in normalizing relations with Israel. And this is a place for some creative diplomacy. Can we put together a package with Saudi Arabia that gets them to help with energy, gets them to move towards Israel, and we'll have uh, we have uh, a common front against Iran, uh, and yet, and we've had to figure out a way. How do we compartmentalize or deal with our, our issues of the past and present on on human rights? Part of this is going to require, though, the administration get over its singular focus on re-entering a nuke or uh, signing a new nuclear agreement with Iran. That oh, I think the, the price of doing it is, is going to my outweigh the benefits. God. The obsession okay. with that bad deal continues to haunt U.S. Uh, foreign policy. It has for years, and it continues into this administration. Uh, he is so right. I agree with him right there. Uh, Richard Haas, why don't you just say the Abraham Accords could expand? Why? Because that's Donald Trump's Abraham Accords. And Saudi Arabia was next. They're the hardest because they got to make sure their population's on board. I think their government is. They know Israel is not a problem. They are restoring flights to those other nations. They are seeing the innovation of the Israeli economy. They are seeing that they're not a threat and that they can work with and they're trustworthy, which we all know because they are they're our finest ally. I do not know what Israel's I know what they say, but I am so disappointed in the way Israel's action towards the Russians, uh, the way they won't take a side and they and they won't even I mean, here is Ukraine trying just to protect their territory. And Israel can't see there's right and wrong here and the Russians are wrong. Uh, I, they usually fearlessly in doing the right thing, and I just find it hard to believe that they're not. So uh, right now we're understanding that the fighting's going on in a few places. So the Russians haven't really gone full bore into the south and to the east. But I understand that there's the, the Ukrainians' report is the morale among the Russians has never been lower, and there's a lot of defections, and there's a lot of Russians who are refusing to come out of Belarus and rejoin units. And now they're getting upset, get this, because they were promised if they won and fought this war, this whatever they called it, this incursion or whatever way they have sanitized in this war, they would get all this bonus money. And so far, nobody on the Russian side has gotten any of the bonus money. So the Ukrainian defense intelligence claimed that April 12th that the Russian troops continued to struggle with that and the promised financial incentives. This is according to the, um, the, the Institute of Study of War. Ukraine has not been – they have not been delivered to some units as promised, so they're supposed to report to these units to fight the Ukrainians. They're not going. The report says that the servicemen of the 47th Guard Task Division of the 1st Tank Army failed to receive promised additional payments for participating in the operation in Ukraine. And the military leadership ignored appeals for payments, and the Ukrainians' GUR claims the Russian troops are refusing to participate in the fighting at all. Man, can you imagine if they just fell apart? Wouldn't that be great? Uh, that would be fantastic. Meanwhile, uh, Vladimir Putin is uh, vowing consequences for those who interfere in the Ukraine. Nice try. You can't handle Ukraine. You're going to give retribution against us? 
Putin speaking to dozens of uh, uh, in front of dozens of rockets. Uh, and just by the way, he also brought the nuclear football to a funeral the other day, their version of a nuclear football. Nice try. Uh, in the Far East, he insisted that his invasion of Ukraine would prevail as he warned of world starvation as a result of Western sanctions against Moscow. Why? Because they make a lot of they grow a lot of grain and the Ukrainians grow a lot of their grain. The Russian president claimed that Russia's economy and financial system withstood the blow from what he called the Western sanctions blitz and insisted the move would backfire by driving up prices for essentials such as fertilizer. It's true. Got to go other place for fertilizer. Got to go other place to get some grain. And they got to slowly do in Europe what we in the U.K. have done, and that's get off Russian oil and gas. But as Bill Browder told me, I can't remember if it's on air or off, he said that don't worry about the ruble going up. The ruble can only be traded inside Russia. So they know that their money's not worth anything, and the only banks they have not sanctioned are the ones that have energy stocks in them. So this is what I was talking about, and I find so distressing. Uh, the President Biden is po- was poised. This is going to the – I was so hopeful. Uh, President Biden's administration is poised to dramatically expand the scope of weapons it's providing to the Ukraine. I'm saying great. So what are they going to provide? These attack helicopters, these MI-17, these howitzer cannons, coastal defense drones, and protective units. They decided against you sending in the helicopters. Why? Why have they decided against sending in the helicopters? This is other people sending in aircraft. Why can't we send in aircraft? We are These are brutal invaders, genociders, and we are deciding that we're not going to do this. So the Ukrainians are relentless. This Oksana Marakova met last week with representatives of General Atomics, the maker of the Reaper and Predator drones, and said that Mark Brinkley, who's their company spokesperson, the company is currently exploring options for supporting Ukraine. Quote, we have aircraft available now for immediate transfer. With support from the U.S. government, those aircraft can be in the hands of the Ukrainian military pilots in a matter of days. Such a transfer, Brinkley said, would expand Ukraine's ability to conduct aerial surveillance of the battle and provide highly lethal strike capabilities not afforded by small small aircraft. They're going to try to get the Ukrainian uh, armed forces out in the field where they think they could try to crush them. And once they crush them in the south and the east, they'll go and just take Kiev. I don't see it happening. But why not make sure it's not going to happen by allowing them to surveil the battlefield and know exactly how to hit? This is our dream. We wanted the Iraqis to fight for themselves. They weren't quite ready. We wanted the Afghanis to fight for themselves. We wouldn't provide the air cover. They collapsed. They weren't quite ready. Those who gave up, by the way, there's reports now they've almost all been executed. They were told if you give up your arms, give up your uniform, and uh, just become a citizen— We'll let you go. They've killed most of all those people. So that's what the Taliban are like. Now, with Ukraine, you've got a fighting force that we're willing to fight in a very respectful, uh, earnest, uh, and fearless way. And they all they want is our arms. And guess what? They're actually going to pay for them. And they'll take the aid. They'll also take the arms. They need the help. They will pay. We'll get it back. That's how I feel about arming Europe. People say, it's not our problem. Why are we trying to militarize Europe? No. Let them pay for the Patriots. Let them pay for the fighter jets. Let them pay if our forces are going to stay there. But we'll be there and be the tripwire to suffocate uh, Russia and stop their uh, unsavory ways in Africa, throughout the Middle East, and stop threatening their neighbors. So the other big story is, and we all got Amber Alerts on this a short time ago, the NYPD has named 62-year-old Frank James as a suspect in the subway bombing. No kidding. He's between five foot five and five foot ten, way overweight, a black guy. 
He evidently rented a U-Haul about five blocks from this 36, this N Street, this uh, Sunset Park uh, and 36th Street in Brooklyn uh, subway station. Uh, the N train was there about five minutes outside the station. It stopped. Uh, this clown put on a gas mask, opened up his bag, threw a smoke bomb out, and then started shooting people. Thankfully, his Glock got jammed up. Thankfully, his axe fell out of his bag, and he didn't use it. But this clown also, when he gets out, and then five minutes in after shooting uh, 30 rounds, hitting at least 13 people, and between the stampede and the smoke inhalation, about 20 were hospitalized, this guy drops the keys to the U-Haul and drops his license. So you know exactly who it is. They find the U-Haul five blocks over, but they have not found him. Quote to one of the uh, eyewitnesses. So I looked at him and I thought to myself, this is going to Fiji Jasashi. Um, I'm sure I butchered his name, but he, to the New York Post, he said this. I looked at him and I thought to myself, he was talking to himself for a while. So you, we've all, I've been on the subway. I don't know if you guys have been on the subway, but if you are on the subway in your city and it's a long line, like New York's got the longest lines, you get people who think it's their apartment because Mayor de Blasio let them stay there and the police chief wasn't empowered to get him out of there. And a lot of these people uh, are talking to themselves, obviously deranged, and they're violent. So this guy does what everybody does. You hear these people, and you just want them to go away. He said, I thought to myself, he's talking to himself for a while. So I looked at him, and I was like, this guy must be on drugs or something. So when the train was about to hit the 36th Street stop, we stopped for five minutes. He takes out a gas mask one of his little, uh, out of his little luggage bag. He opened up the gas tank, his gas uh, tanks, and he said— Ooh, my bad. He pulls out an axe. He drops the axe. He gets out a gun. He starts shooting. One guy gets shot right next to me. He says, help, help. I tell them to help this guy uh, for cover. He were, uh, help, I help him out, and I'm covered with his blood. I jump over. I bang the door and kick it with my leg. I get lucky with it. It was a crazy man. This other woman, Claire, says, I thought it was an MTA worker. He said he was uh, He said he was. Uh, uh, he's heard, she heard so many rounds shoot out. She lost count. She was counting, I guess, in the beginning. So they find out. What are they fortunate about? The hatchet dropped and the gun jammed. What are they fortunate about? That the cameras on the platform and in the subway car don't work. That is, to me, terrible. Now, I think it's unbelievable. I've been in the nerve center of an NYPD, got friendly with Ray Kelly, and I was probably one of the last interviews he gave before he left office after serving uh, – Two more terms after serving one initially. So I thought to myself, wait a second. I sat in that nerve center. I see these hundreds of screens there. If any of them are black for a period of time, it's so easy to find out. I mean, you need, just need a, a law enforcement intern. Anyone majoring in criminal justice can say, excuse me, sir, I think that camera's out. All three of them were out. So here's what Ray Kelly said yesterday to Tucker Carlson, cut eight. It's disgraceful. There's absolutely yeah. no reason for that to, to happen. It is absolutely indefensible that they weren't working in this day and age. And, you know, we've got a lot of money that's come out of the federal government, a lot of money to the MTA. This is something that, that should have been repaired, you know, last year. It wasn't working. Who knows how long it wasn't working? It's, it's nuts. And that's a police commissioner. You know, when someone sits on the outside and said, yeah, I was retired, they should have had a cop on the subway. You can't have a cop on every subway. And you can't have them on every platform. But transit cops were prevalent. And what you wanted to do is and not be patterned. 
So if someone is planning a mass attack, maybe this guy does seem planned. He certainly had stuff with him. You want to go, okay, uh, let me see. There's cops here one day. There's no cops the next day. Sometimes cops are on the train. Sometimes they're not. You can't have, an, have one in every single, uh, in every single car. So they, they've named this guy. He's 62-year-old Frank James. They, they name him a suspect now. Uh, James is a person of interest. Uh, it turns out he's all over YouTube. He ranted about the mayor, says, I'm a victim of your mental health program, mayor. I'm 62 years old and full of rage and anger and full of bitterness. Yeah, let's keep this guy on YouTube, but make sure Donald Trump's not on YouTube. Uh, he goes on to say um, that he was diagnosed with mental illness, said his family is his enemy, and was, uh, as a kid, he was attacked by English and Spanish-speaking people. All right, what a whack job this guy is and dangerous here is Chris Swecker. He's a former FBI, assistant FBI director. He talks about what could have been done on that subway, because once you're on that subway and they start shooting, you are sitting duck. Cut nine. Subways are a law enforcement first responder nightmare. We saw that in Europe after 9-11. We've seen it in, in uh, different events in New York City. And it is, it, it is a, it, when you're targeting a subway at rush hour in Manhattan or Brooklyn or what have you, you're trying to inflict mass chaos and mass casualties. And this guy did. Uh, when we get him, we're going to find out he's mentally ill. And I'm sure this guy will be prosecuted. But why just him? All these guys are repeated perpetrators. And we have such a heart for them. It was totally misplaced. Why are we living through this era? I'll take the 90s when we arrested everybody. Uh, listen, when we come back, I'll take your calls. one 408 much more to discuss, uh, and I want to do it with you. Uh, or you want to write me if you're at work right now or you're driving, uh, briankillme.com. Or if you're driving, you shouldn't be writing. Pull over, uh, briankillme.com. And what you do is just click on comments, and I'll be able to hear from you. Don't move. Politics, current events, and news that affects you. Brian's got a lot more to say. Stay with Brian Kilmeade. Breaking news, unique opinions. Hear it all on the Brian Kilmeade Show. All right. For months, you couldn't even mention it. And it, that is certainly something that was open to question. There was this lab in Wuhan that was studying coronaviruses, and somebody could have walked out with it on their shoe. Can't we even look into that? For Twitter to take that off, that, to me, was a huge red flag. To the world going crazy, how crazy is it that I listen to Bill Maher and I agree with 70% of what he's saying? Because it's not even Democrat or Republican. It's just off the charts that the Wuhan lab did not give out this coronavirus because Anthony Fauci says it happened from a platypus or something. There's no way that it should be a lot, that the logic doesn't say it came from the Wuhan lab. The biggest question should have been, was it intentional or not? And that means if it was intentional, did a pretty bad job because it all blew up on them, too. And they're still dealing with it. They're locking down their whole country. They literally have locked up 25 million people. 25 million people because of 20,000 positive cases and only a small percentage have symptoms. So they lock down people without food or water. Do we have the screaming, Eric? Remember the screaming from the other day? So this is uh, Shanghai. 
And this is at night. The first time I saw this was Katie Pavlich's Twitter feed. And she said, I talked to some people. This is verified from a friend of mine in China. They're so hungry. They're so desperate. Their doors have been locked. Their kids have been taken away into separate facilities because either you're positive or they're positive. Dogs, their pets have been killed, put into bags and put on the side of the road. Listen to this. How nuts is that? And then they broke into a super, the ones that were able to get out, broke into a supermarket and started stripping the shelves. Drones are flying around the neighborhood with cameras to not only broadcast, to tell, to see who was breaking out and what they were doing. So people were putting refrigerators out on their balconies, showing they're empty and saying we're starving. That's China. These are our enemies. One targets civilians. The other starves their own people. Let's find out if there's more to know. More to know. Uh, comedian Gilbert Godfrey, another one, dead at 67. He thought he'd be around forever. He had the strangest voice, the weirdest delivery. He says, quote, this from his nephew, Graham, survived by his wife, Dara, his daughter, Lily, and son, Max, who's 14 and 12. We're heartbroken to announce the passing of our beloved Gilbert Godfrey. In addition to being the most iconic voice in comedy, Gilbert was a wonderful husband, brother, friend, and father to his young children. Though today is a sad day for all of us, please keep laughing. Man, look at Bob Saget, Louis Anderson, mm-hmm. and now Gilbert Godfrey. I mean, whoever thought they were going to die? And then uh, prior to that, um, who was another shocker? Norm MacDonald. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, uh, that was shocking, right? Because Norm his cancer was quiet, was stunning, right? yeah. Yeah, but for Gilbert Godfrey, too, it was right. He had a heart aber- abnormality, what, um, ventricular tachycardia, which wow. I guess he was dealing with for a long time. But, yeah, 67 is not old. Next, Johnny Depp gets emotional as his sister testifies how their abusive mother taunted him with cruel nickname One Eye. What? And tells how Amber heard him call, called him old fat uh, fat man when Dior offered him a modeling gig. When I guess okay, so his wife is hot and young. Johnny Depp was a sex symbol when he kept himself somewhat fit. But if someone calls you fat, get in shape. Well, I, I mean, how could you? Plus, he's an adult. If someone calls you fat. That doesn't mean you should but choke her or hit her with your phone well, like you did. Well, that is true. But isn't he suing her for defamation? Isn't that the suit? Yeah, she's suing him back, though. It's, it's, all, it's all just sad, right? Like, just right. every family has issues. He's a rich person from. This is why I don't like the housewives. Live from the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox & Friends, it's America's receptive voice. Brian Kilmeade. Thanks so much for being here, everybody. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show. Joni Ernst at the bottom of the hour. And, of course, we come to you from New York, heard around the country, uh, heard around the world. And we're talking about the subway shooter, absolutely. Uh, And we're talking about the fact that he is now a suspect, this guy. uh, And he's somebody that we should have never, it seems, judging by what I've read about his background, this guy, Frank James, have ever let him off any FBI surveillance list. But he was being questioned heavily before. If this, in fact, turns out to be the guy, and it looks like he is, he's threatened the mayor. Uh, he is all over the place saying he wants to kill. He's on YouTube saying he wants to kill. And I guess he came to us from Philadelphia, U-Haul with Arizona plates. Incredible. So uh, before we get to uh, Lucas Tomlinson, who has the latest on the weapons we're supposed to be sending over to Ukraine, as well as an immigration story you're not going to hear anywhere else, let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. 
family budget, your ability to fill up your tank, none of it should hinge on whether a dictator declares war and commits genocide and half a world away. Yeah, they call it the Putin price hike. Yeah, finally, President Biden calls Russian barbarity and depravity genocide. And more importantly, the Washington Post reports the U.S. prepared to send better and more lethal weapons. We have since gotten a different story that we're not going to send them the better weapons. Say it with me. Ukraine has to win, and it's in the U.S. interest to do it. Why can't President Biden understand that? Number two. What's happened here is that even though wages are now going up at about 6%, which is the highest they've gone up in decades... The 8.5% obviously is more than that. And so you have consumers losing ground on their purchasing power. Yeah, uh, inflation is the number one economic story in the nation. And the scary thing to me is the administration trying to blame everyone but themselves from Putin to supply chain. Polls show we are not buying it as a people. Number one. I bought a Manhattan-bound entry. Ten people were shot. Seven males, three females. And they were removed to area hospitals. An additional 13 people suffered injuries. That is uh, some of the reporting for the police chief yesterday. On the, uh, it happened about 8:20 a.m. Eastern time, rush hour, obviously into Brooklyn, packed as usual. This deranged shooter is still at large. Uh, we will try to get a hold. Hopefully, we'll have an announcement today that we got the guy. The subway cameras did not work. Cops on the train could not use their radios effectively. New York City's quarantine mayor blamed the gun. Uh, Lucas Tomlinson joins us right now. As bad as this is, Lucas has seen a lot worse up close and personal. The guy was serving in Ukraine uh, in Kiev uh, during the worst part of this conflict, which could get a lot worse in the south and the east. Uh, Pentagon correspondent, Lucas, welcome back. Brian, thanks for having me. I want to talk about what's happening in the Ukraine, but first, what you were doing this morning I found fascinating. Uh, The governor of Texas said if you keep allowing these illegal immigrants to be filtered into our state and not watch the border, we're going to start picking them up in buses and sending them to Washington, D.C. That was his warning to President Biden. Did he do it? He sure did, Brian. In fact, just this morning, a little past 8 a.m., a chartered bus dropped off 23 illegal migrants, 19 males, four females. It included two small children. Uh, None of them were from Mexico. In fact, two groups of migrants I spoke to that came off the bus, one group was from Nicaragua. They had family there to greet them. They were very happy about uh, arriving here in America. Another group was from Venezuela, and these uh, young men were from Venezuela, and they were excited about the possibility of going down to Miami. I asked them, how are you going to get down to Miami? They had no clue, but they said they wanted to take a, a bus or train. Uh, the ones I did uh, ask, you know, how are you doing? How are you going to make it here in America? They said they were willing to work hard. I asked them what jobs. They said you work in a restaurant, the fields, whatever they need to do, work in hotels, clean toilets, whatever. Um, but uh, it's worth noting, Brian, that, uh, you know, Governor Abbott, during his press conference, he threatened a week ago to send uh, these migrants to Washington. He made good at that threat. The bus dropped them off just bold blocks from the U.S. Capitol, and they were all there voluntarily. I asked them, Did, were you forced at all into taking this bus ride? They said no. The bus, I spoke to the driver. He's, the bus departed Del Rio, Texas at 4 p.m. Saturday. They've been driving uh, pretty much through the night 24-7 uh, since, and they arrived uh, here Wednesday morning here at the Capitol. And, of course, you know, all this comes here as uh, you know, lawmakers, a bipartisan group of lawmakers, say they're willing and want uh, this Title 42, the Trump-era uh, 
pandemic health measure uh, that keeps illegal migrants outside the United States, in fact, to the tune of 1.7 million in the last two years. Uh, there's a group of bipartisan lawmakers here in Washington that want to see that uh, repeal extended two months. Uh, still uh, no word if that's going to happen. But uh, and of course, the White House is pushing back on, on what happened uh, today and the Governor Abbott's threats uh, calling it a stunt. Right. Uh, they still calling it a stunt after he actually pulled it off? Here's the other thing is it's pathetic. It's pathetic that states have to, to get the attention of their federal government, have to do something like this. It's costing the people of Texas a lot of money. It's got, it's cost us a lot of money, period, with the illegals staying here. They're going to be on some social safety net or supplement. You know, if they need medical attention, they are going to uh, get it. If the kids are uh, school age, they're going to get free schooling. And the tax dollars are not going to come out of somebody that has no tax base. So people will pay a little bit more. I don't. I just don't think it's... Uh, fundamentally in America's interest to let the whole world in. But guess what? There's another caravan leaving from Guatemala. It readies, uh, the U.S. Army is the army is there. They are bound for the U.S. in Guatemala. Uh, migrants are forming in Honduras uh, to leave on Friday. Uh, they want to time it to get to America when Title 42 is listed in the middle of May. So we got caravans coming back again, Lucas. Well, that's what, you know, right now about 7,000 illegal migrants across uh, the border every day. Many of them are, are turned away. Some of them not. Of course, we've seen our own Bill Malusian. There's incredible reporting there on the border. There's plenty of uh, people uh, running away from, from uh, the Border Patrol. Uh, officials think at DHS that uh, when Title 42 is repealed this summer, you could have 18,000 yep. illegal migrants coming across, crossing the border every day. And, of course, this would come this summer, just months before the midterm elections, Brian. Uh, Lucas, I was really heartened to read the Washington Post this morning and hear how we're going to send $750 million worth of weapons, and some are going to be different and more lethal than before, including these uh, helicopters. But now you told us within Fox and Friends just an hour ago, we will not be sending these helicopters? That's correct, Brian. Yesterday, there were congressional notifications that were given from the Pentagon outlining this next tranche, if you will, of weapons, some $750 million in new weaponry uh, to destroy Russian armor and to kill Russian soldiers. One of the items on that list is now off the list, and that's the uh, Hind 17 uh, helicopters. These are normally transport helicopters. This is about the closest the uh, Soviet Union had to uh, the U.S. Army's Black Hawk helicopters, a troop carrier, but much like the Black Hawk, these can be, you know, armed. They can fire rockets. They can go on on offense, and it's something the Ukrainians have wanted. Uh, they they fly them. They wanted more, and it appeared the Pentagon was all set to give them. Remember, Jen Psaki on Fox News Sunday said that uh, the Chairman of the Joint Chiefs, the Defense Secretary, had a, a two-hour conversation yeah. with their Ukrainian counterparts. They went quote item by item. Everything seemed to be going along well, and now all of a sudden, a uh, big walk back or about face, if you will, Brian. These uh, Mi-17 helicopters are no longer on the list. Why? Right now, not sure, Brian, to be quite frank with you and your listeners. It's unclear why a decision was made. The The way the Washington Post reported it was this was a dramatic escalation. It's not clear if somebody in the White House uh, you know, felt a little threatened by that, wanted to lower the temperature, didn't, didn't like seeing uh, in, in a national newspaper that this was a dramatic escalation of weaponry given to the Ukrainians, which you'd think after 17,000 anti-tank javelin missiles that have flooded the country and have destroyed hundreds of Russian tanks, you'd think some transport helicopters would not appear as threatening as uh, perhaps uh, what some of the administration think. But uh, all we can say now with fidelity is is those MI-17s are off the list for now. So the Washington Post story goes like this. 
Preliminary plans circulating th- throughout Washington. And my fear is that President Biden personally made that decision because his instincts were always terrible. Uh, so the new, the new preliminary plans have MI-17 helicopters, howitzer cannons, coastal defense drones, protective suits, uh, night vision glasses, uh, chemical uh, suits for a chemical or biological attack. Can you tell me, are the howitzer cannons able to get there? Do you know, the, can you expand on anything that's in the $750 million? Yes, I mean we. These are items that have been listed to go in. They're going to go in on ground. Obviously, uh, you know FedEx, UPS, DHL are not delivering. There's no aircraft flying over Ukraine right now, besides Ukrainian fighter jets and, uh, of course, you know Russian aircraft as well. These items will go over ground. We just saw the Slovakian military, the NATO ally, deliver their uh, Russian-made S-300 air defense system over train, over rail. Uh, they put a public uh, video out uh, about that. So these items would be expected to go over ground. And when it comes to artillery, why this is so critical, Brian, is right now the Russians, uh, while the Ukrainians have uh, won the Battle of Kiev, the capital, uh, Russian forces are rearming. They're regrouping in western Russia, not far from the border of Ukraine. And it looks like the Donbass is where is the next chapter in this war. And there's going to be fierce fighting and, and much more out in the open, not as much uh, cover. And that appears to be a, a war more fought with with tanks and artillery. But make no mistake, uh, in the last few weeks, uh, by NATO estimates, up to 15,000 Russian soldiers have been killed fighting Ukraine. Just for context, Brian, that's the same number of Russian soldiers that were killed in Afghanistan in the 80s during a decade of fighting. So the weapons that are getting into the Ukrainians appear to be working and working quite well. And, of course, the Ukrainian fighting spirit uh, is something to behold because the, the Russians are in retreat. Uh, but, of course, it, we're six weeks into this war, right. and uh, you know, top Pentagon brass think this could drag out for years. Uh, so, Lucas, this Oksana Marko- Mar- Marakova, who's the ambassador to the U.S. from Ukraine, is meeting personally with uh, General Ad- uh, Atomics, General Atomics, the maker of the Reaper and Predator drones. She wants to cut a deal for her country. Can they do that without the government's permission? Do they need yeah. to be signed off on by President Biden? It would need approval by the administration, and not only is she meeting with industry, but today the Pentagon is meeting with uh, leaders of uh, the, you know of industry and, and talking about what weapons that could be made. Now, of course, you know some might say, why is this happening? You know, over six weeks into this war, why isn't it happening sooner? Certainly, uh, good questions. But right now, the Pentagon is gearing up for this large meeting with the heads of, of uh, you know Raytheon, uh, Lockheed Martin, all the the big defense companies to figure out. Uh, what is it that Ukraine is requesting now? What do they need and how to get it in there? Yeah, I would think. Uh, so when you left, Lucas, what was your sense that the uh, Ukrainians ha- had what it take to, took to win? Definitely. I mean, I couldn't help but harp back to the American Revolution, Brian, and certainly the outset of the American Revolution, a subject you know well. The, the British Army were the, were the ones uh, that were outfitted. Yes, they were fighting uh, you know, across the ocean, but there was a resiliency among the American colonists. And just fast forward to today, uh, the Ukrainians at first seemingly did not have the advantages. They certainly didn't have the advantages when it came to, to numbers, of tanks, aircraft, air defenses, uh, helicopter gunships, uh, you know, fourth, fifth 
generation fighter jets that the Russians were flying. However, uh, the Ukrainian fighting spirit and these Javelin anti-tank yeah. missiles and also uh, anti-tank missiles supplied by other, not just NATO allies, but countries like Sweden and Finland, uh, you know, you know, easy to use, uh, you know, especially the Swedes, uh, AT-4, shoulder-fired anti-tank missiles, easy to follow instructions, much like IKEA. Uh, it just had a devastating effect on the Russians, and they sent them packing. I mean, look at, uh, you know, the battle for Kiev. This was a two-hour drive for Russian forces massed in Belarus down a highway. I was just in Chernobyl right before the invasion, and I couldn't help but think that how easy it would be for the Russians to just come south. Well, it was very difficult because the Ukrainians drew a line in the sand, so you're not getting past some of these cities outside of Kiev. Now, sadly, we've seen yeah. Yeah. horrible atrocities in, in places like Bucha and, and Erpin, and, but at the same time, the Ukrainians have fought valiantly, and then the proof is in the results. Over 15,000 dead Russian soldiers, hundreds of, of vehicles and tanks destroyed, and a large number of Russian aircraft as well. All right. Thanks so much, uh, Lucas Tomlinson. Appreciate it. Great to join you, Brian. All right, he's covering the immigration story, all over the war story, all over the Pentagon allegations. So, uh, uh, allocations, I should say. Senator Joni Ernst at the bottom of the hour. But good news, you're next. 1-866-408-7669. Brian Kilmeade Show. Learning something new every day on the Brian Kilmeade Show. The fastest three hours in radio. You're with Brian Kilmeade. And we know we're going to get crime under control. And the problem we're facing is a problem that is hitting our entire uh, nation right now. And that is why this is a national uh, response. We need a national response to this issue. 1,800 guns. Think about that in New York City. That's uh, when you think about only uh, three and a half months removing 1,800 guns. We're going to continue to do our job, but there is some assistance that's going to be needed uh, in our city, such as uh, empowering uh, ATF, uh, bringing the ATF leader, as the president announced yesterday, uh, making ghost guns illegal. Okay. I'm just astounded. I know the mayor is holed up in his apartment. He must be frustrated after the subway attack, and that is Mayor Eric Adams. Uh, I appreciate the fact that he's at least trying to do something on law enforcement level, cleaning up uh, the uh, the homeless encampments, uh, saying I want more, I want more transit cops down in the subways itself. But it has not added up to any decrease in any area when it comes to crime, because when it comes to law enforcement, they're not pressing it because there's no uh, criminal charges being pressed on these repeated offenders, unless it's something egregious uh, or a, a flat out murder. So, again, he has a chance to bring it up. He brings up guns. The guy had an axe with him. Thankfully, it dropped. The gun clearly was an issue. Dropping a smoke bomb, he had firecrackers. And who knows what else he had detonated. Some said undetonated devices. But did you read the story? Just Google New York. But uh, uh, over the weekend, as gruesome as this sounds, a guy waiting for a subway got stabbed in the head. Was the ghost gun the problem? The other time we have people being thrown on the tracks. Is that the problem? I mean, the assaults, the robberies, a lot of times without a weapon. And they focus on the gun, not not the fact that crime's going out of control. And you had one of these reporters on CNN say the problem is the lax gun laws in the South, they bring their guns up to the North and they sell them to New Yorkers. What? If you have lax gun laws in the South, why aren't there more shootings in the South? 
Do you think they go, okay, now that there's lax gun laws, let me get to a place where there's strict gun laws? More gun laws are in New York. But what I'm trying to say is this should not be the gun debate. It should be the crime debate because he allows it to become political when he blames it on the gun. Didn't rule out terrorism yesterday. I understand it. The fact that those cameras didn't work, I think, is the worst. Here's Ray Kelly. Uh, he taught the former commissioner, commissioner twice under Bloomberg, and then prior to that, cut eight. It's disgraceful. There's absolutely yeah. no reason for that to, to happen. It is absolutely indefensible that they weren't working in this day and age. And, you know, we've got a lot of money that's come out of the federal government, a lot of money to the MTA. This is something that, that should have been repaired, you know, last year. It wasn't working. Who knows how long it wasn't working? Yeah, I understand. You just look up at the monitors out, just get it fixed. I mean, all three of them didn't work. So that's the issue. Right now, I cannot believe I've gone through a second show now, and in a crowded subway in New York, you know who the guy is. You know the truck he had. You know his different residences everywhere, I believe, from out west to Philadelphia, and we haven't gotten him. I know it's easy for me to sit behind a microphone and say it. I'm just used to New York especially, the way we track down terrorists, international terrorists. I've, if you tell me that this clown, this fat five foot five inch black guy who we described in detail, who's all over YouTube, why can't we get him? Unbelievable. And we know multiple residences and his friends. I, I hope to get him before I leave the air this hour. Listen to the Brian Kilmeade show. A woman that spends a lot of time in military, in uniform and out. Senator Joni Ernst next of Iowa Armed Services Small Business Committee. I will talk about inflation and we'll also talk about winning the war with Ukraine. The talk show that's getting you talking. You're with Brian Kilmeade. The Environmental Protection Agency is planning to issue an emergency waiver to allow E15 gasoline that uses more ethanol from homegrown crops to be sold across the United States this summer in order to increase fuel supply. You're going to be able to keep filling up with E15, and it's going to solve the whole problem. Wow, thanks for the corn. By the way, that burns dirty. Uh, I'm for it. I've always been for it. But you green cra- the crazies on the green right, on the green left, said you can't have ethanol, right? Because it's not good for the environment. Now you got President Biden saying, I'll do everything except drill, including use corn. Shows up in Iowa to do it. But he blames Vladimir Putin, the Putin price hike for any type of inflation we're experiencing. Is that what Senator Joni Ernst thinks? She's from Iowa. Senator, welcome back. Hey, it's great to be with you, Brian. Listen, I'm all for ethanol if it works, if it keeps the gas prices down. But are you pretty amazed that Mr. Uh, Green Energy is talking ethanol? Yeah. Hey, and I, I love ethanol, and I can give you all kinds of reasons why we should be using it. So I am glad that we're able to provide E15 year-round. But he also needs to see the bigger picture, that America can be energy independent, and it's all of the above energy solutions. His solution, when we see these high prices, is to tell everybody to buy a $50,000 electric vehicle. That doesn't work. Um, So let's drill. Let's make sure that they are getting the permits out for drilling. Let's make sure that we are developing American energy independence. We did that in the last administration. We certainly 
can do it in this administration. I would think so. But right now, I'm, I'm more worried about what's happening. Well, I'm not saying I'm more worried. But, I mean, the number one story domestically is uh, inflation. And for the president not to admit that the rescue plan of $1.9 trillion didn't play into it, when Larry Summers said the minute it passed, we don't need it, we don't have the money to back it, this is money we don't have to use it, but instead, inflation begins to rise. He tried to get Bill Back Better done. It's scary to think what could have happened. And now he refuses to uh, drill more, but he's begging our, uh, our enemies to uh, allow us to, to actually drill more and pump more. So now we have 8.5% unemployment. How much does that do to Vladimir Putin? Well, I tell you what, um, we have got to get serious on the sanctions with Russia. Of course, we've taken steps through Congress to ban Russian oil, but it has taken the pressure of Congress to do that. And instead, uh, you know, Biden has, has lollygagged around, is the, the expression that I use, on any sort of reaction. And if you look at the Iran nuclear deal that he's working on now, that would lift sanctions off of Iran oil. So he's allowed all of these other nefarious actors to engage in the petroleum space. But he doesn't want to see that right here in the United States. We need those jobs. We can use those jobs here. We can use the energy production here. We see um, everywhere that Joe Biden turns, um, there is a crisis that's caused by him and the radical Democrats. You know, the, the radical climate agenda folks out there, they have just put this lid on American resources and drilling. And we've got to face the fact that inflation is at the highest we have seen in over 40 years. The Democrats, all they want to do is throw money at the problem. And we know that just exacerbates the issue. Um, So, again, we just need to make sure that we're focusing on American energy independence, providing those jobs right here at home, and finding ways that we can ease up on inflation, not continue to create issues in inflation. I understand. uh, And I, I, uh, Hart, I absolutely agree. Here is uh, the issue with your military background. I know you have a passion for it as well as being on Armed Services Committee. I was so happy to see last night the Washington Post published a story uh, that the, America, the Biden administration is poised to dramatically expand the scope of weapons it is providing Ukraine. So I looked into it. It says, okay, the new aid package is going to be $750 million, will include MI-17 helicopters, howitzer mm-hmm. cannons, and all the, more types of drones and suits and things. So the helicopters really would have impacted. Then I get walked back by Lucas Tomlinson in the Pentagon and Jennifer Griffin that says mm-hmm. uh, in about face, a senior U.S. defense official says the Biden administration is no longer planning to send those helicopters despite notifying Congress it intended to do so. What is going on? Why wouldn't they oh try? What, what is going on? Brian, this is horrible. And yes, I saw that same message um, coming uh, back where the White House is now backing up what they had said. We saw this with the MiG-29s. We've heard it in so many different ways where President Biden will say one thing and then the White House has to backtrack. They can use those helicopters. They could use the MiG-29s that Poland was going to send to them until uh, the White House interfered with that. Um, There are so many different platforms that the Ukrainians need to push back on the Russians and to gain their uh, country back. 
but the White House is just not fully engaging. And I don't understand, Brian, why we don't want the Ukrainians to be successful faster. You know, we know the Ukrainians can win this war if our friends and allies in the United States is stepping up and providing them what they are asking for. We have no need for those helicopters. Those are Soviet-made helicopters, which means that the Ukrainians already know how to fly them, to operate them, to maintain them. And we should be providing those types of assets to their military today. Senator, you know how serious this is. It's not a matter of political points. Nobody cares about the midterms. Uh, I'm just, just on winning this war and the ripple effect from doing it, cutting down the, the Russian military, showing they can expand, uh, letting everybody know they will fight, letting the NATO neighbors uh, know that they don't have to fear. The Russians are way overrated. They have to be destroyed. This would help do it. This is a pivotal battle coming up right now, and we are underarming Ukraine at this moment. The U.K. is doing more with their surface-to-water uh, ocean missiles into the Black Sea. We are not giving harpoons. We're not giving the MiGs. And now we're not giving the helicopters. Do you believe this is President Biden again doing what he did in Afghanistan, telling his generals, I'm just getting out, figure it out? Is this him again? Is it Blinken? Who's doing this? I do worry that it's all of the above, Brian. I think it is the president. I think it's those closest to him that are advising him. And I think, as the Ukrainians have said, they have told us this, that America is suffering from Afghanistan syndrome. They are not wanting to step forward and provide the necessary resources to the Ukrainians to win because they're afraid if Ukraine should fall, then uh, the Russians would have this military equipment. But the difference is the Ukrainians can win, and they are putting up a, a valiant fight against the Russians. So we need to step out. We need to support President Zelensky. Uh, we need to provide them with weapons faster. Um, we need to make sure that they are also being able to supply diesel, um, of course, not only for their war effort, but to make sure that their farmers can actually go through the planting season so they will have a revenue stream and be able to feed their people. We need to hold Russia accountable. Um, of course, their continued presence on the U.N. Human Rights Council, you know, in, in the G20 and Interpol is an absolute disgrace. There are so many things this administration could influence and do to help them win this war fast. And yet they are not engaging the way they need to. Senator, so is there anybody in the matter. left? I, I watched some of the direct question from yes. Senator Blumenthal yes. and others and yes. Senator Warner. I, I think that, you know, you could do something publicly and try to team with them or you could go behind the scenes and try to let them know uh, and try to figure out what is really happening. Have you talked to any Democrats about helping you out here, helping us out here? Yes, absolutely, Brian. And I led a bipartisan delegation overseas to Germany and Poland um, just several weeks back. And so Kirsten Gillibrand and Richard Blumenthal, Jean Shaheen, you name it, there are so many Democrats that are engaging in this space. Um, but of course, because it is President Joe Biden, a Democrat in the White House, they are just not as forward and outspoken as a number of us that really see this as a battle between democracy and authoritarianism. You know, I had a Democrat here in Iowa yesterday at one of my meetings 
that came forward um, and said, Senator, we're different political persuasions. He said, I had uncles that fought in World War II. He said, this is important. You know, putting the Russians back on their heels is important. We need to make sure we're engaging fully, however we can, to make sure that these uh, autocratic, authoritarian, murderous regimes are not gaining additional foothold in Europe. You know, he saw the sacrifice made during World War II, um, and he believes that this really is a battle between good and evil. Um, so it was surprising coming from him. I didn't expect that statement. Um, but Democrats are on board with this, too. Maybe not all of them, but certainly the ones I've been interacting with. Um, it is about our democracy. It is about our own national security. And I'd much rather see the Ukrainians defeat the Russians today than have to deal with an even bigger, stronger Russia in the future. No kidding. I mean, what? I mean, I think the American people are behind this. Sixty-five percent of are there for sending additional arms. Uh, you know, they don't want to commit American troops. Neither do I. Twenty-five percent for that. But the numbers are overwhelming for their own political benefit. You would think that they said we'd have this. I, it makes me think I'm missing something. No, and that's why I just don't understand this president's foreign policy. I don't get it. I, d- I don't understand why we're engaging with Iran. I don't understand why we're not doing more for Ukraine. Um, I, of course, disagreed wholeheartedly with what happened in Afghanistan in those final days. Um, but everywhere Joe Biden is reaching out, it's turning into a disaster. We should be doing more to help the Ukrainians. And, of course, those Democrats that agree, they need to speak out and speak out loudly to this administration. Make them understand that the American people are behind this, uh, the Democratic members in Congress are behind it, and maybe yeah. maybe we can get him to engage faster. A couple of things, real quick. This General Atomics, uh, maker of the Reaper and Predator drones, are meeting with the ambassador from Ukraine in the U.S., the U.S. ambassador to the Ukraine, or the, the, the Ukrainian ambassador to the U.S., yep. Oksana Markova. Mm-hmm. And they basically worked out the framework of a deal. As you as a member of the Armed Services Committee, can you oversee that deal and see they execute it? I mean, this is a uh, I'll pay for that. They're not asking for anything free. Right. All of the military equipment that is flowing into Ukraine, while we do have some level of oversight because we are sending our own um, military inventory to Ukraine, it is really the Senate Foreign Relations Committee that over oversees the sale of Uh, our type of equipment to foreign militaries. So we engage together in oversight. Um, So certainly we want to know what is going into Ukraine. We not want to know what's been promised to Ukraine, what they're asking for, when it is delivered, you know, how long it takes for delivery. But we also need to know that within our own inventory, that we're keeping our own stocks at a level where we're able to defend ourselves. Unbelievable. Um, Senator, thanks so much. How how different would things be if you were in the majority? Uh, Things would be a lot different, and certainly it would be a lot different if we had a different president. Um, So I am excited about the opportunity to take back the the Senate and the House this fall. I do believe that that will happen, but we all have to engage and make sure we're getting all these wonderful candidates put into place. Uh, Senator Joni Ernst, thanks so much. 
You bet. Thank you, Brian. All right. Uh, listen, when we come back, we'll uh, finish up with your calls, uh, 1-866-408-7669. Uh, keep in mind, I know it's Wednesday, but Saturday, 8 o'clock and then 11 o'clock, One Nation putting together a tremendous show on the Fox News Channel. Uh, don't move. This weekend, check out Brian's new show on Fox News Channel. Because apparently he's cheaper than infomercials for nonstick pans. That is not true. Chill out, Gutfeld. That really hurts. One Nation with Brian Kilmeade. Saturdays at 8 p.m. Eastern on Fox News Channel. More of Brian coming up. He's so busy, he'll make your head spin. It's Brian Kilmeade. Hi, this is Gilbert Gottfried, and you're listening to Kilmeade and Friends with Brian Kilmeade. I hope I didn't say anything that will cause any controversy. (laughs) Uh, That's really, Gilbert Gottfried passed away at the age of 67. And that's when he was on the show, I guess, with... um, we were downstairs. We're on 15 now. What floor were we on, 12? We were on 18. We were upstairs. 18. But, you know, that's, it's all the same in a high-rise. Right. Uh, it was so much easier to go back and did forth. Did you remember that he was in studio? No. <laughs> I didn't now, think As did. soon as I heard him, I remembered. Yeah. But uh, I always thought he was very funny, man. I, I, I watched him with that. I used to listen to Howard Stern. I go, he never fails to deliver. And he goes over the top. He also got in trouble, too, because of this politically correct culture for saying something. And I think that's why he said... I hope I didn't yes. say anything to get me in trouble. Exactly. He was one of the first victims of cancel culture. What, what happened? What did he do? Do you remember? I don't remember what the tweet was. It was a tweet. It was obviously a joke. It was, was funny, if I remember. Yeah, it was funny. But I think it got labeled as racially insensitive. And then he was canceled as uh, the Aflac duck. Oh. Right. But was he? didn't he have a better gig? And uh, Wasn't he a cartoon character? Well, he was um, in Aladdin. He was uh, the bird. The bird of Iago, the parrot. Look yeah, at you. Yes. I mean, he was a lot of cartoon characters. He was very yeah. funny. I mean, his voice was a cartoon character. It was. But Two kids, the, 12 and 14. It's so sad. So sad. He was, I mean, 67 is pretty darn young, I feel like, nowadays. But um, also what I remember when he was in studio was off the air. That's not his voice. Right? Oh, he was much more mellow. Oh, okay. I don't remember that. You don't remember that? You have much better memory. But there's a picture of him. Uh, doing a selfie with Louis Anderson and Bob Saget this year. I know. Right? Wow. And they both die. And then you add in Norm MacDonald. Hey, by the way, on the the big story in the country and, of course, in New York City, on a, on the shooting that took place 825 in the morning on Tuesday a.m., an ATF source confirms to our reporter, Brian Yenis, that Frank James, he's the suspect, purchased the gun. It, they tie it right. They tie the shooting right back to his gun purchased at a pawn shop in Columbus, Ohio, in 2011. So, 2011. I know everybody wants to say guns are the problem, and guns in New York are the problem, even though we got the strictest gun laws, and blame other cities. But from Ohio, 11 years ago, I'm pretty sure that would have been impossible to to track. But I'm not too sure that if he's on, if it is true, and the FBI was tracking him. Because of some of the crazy things he crazy violent things he put on YouTube, I'm not too sure I'd feel pretty comfortable knowing he had a gun that tracks back to 2011. But it, it gets to the other thing about you know what are you comfortable with? Because can you just go um, suspicious? I'm suspicious of you. Let me have your gun. That's also a problem for gun owners. But the problem is lunatics like Frank James. That's the problem. Uh, I hope we get him soon. Uh, I hope uh, hope we get this guy. 
And I hope people realize that he had the plan and plot. I'm sure they're looking at the video of the cameras that did work and find out that he probably staked this whole station out, been on countless subways in order to try to do this. Because as crazy as he is, he had a sack, he had an axe, he had fireworks, he had smoke bombs, he had a gas mask, and then he had a gun. And he picked the what he thought was the right train at the right time and rush out. So it shows he has wits about him. It doesn't mean he's balanced. Brian Kilmeade Show. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, subscribe and listen to the Trey Gowdy Podcast. Former federal prosecutor and four-term U.S. congressman from South Carolina brings you a -a one-of-a-kind podcast. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.